Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Great joy to be back with you here at Crosspoint Church and <clears throat> to see um, Brad again. And uh, Brad has preached for us at Brackenhurst. Uh, couple of our missions conference the first time he came um, the COVID pandemic broke out that week and uh, so we sent him back home and um, then he came the last time and the war in Ukraine broke out so we're not sure if we're going to have him back um, but in all seriousness Brad is a is a dear friend and I love him and our church loves him and the next time he comes, we want him to bring Jennifer uh, with him. I do want to just take this moment to just uh, thank you as a congregation for uh, your support of Gareth and Carrie Franks, um, who are out of our church, for your support of the, and help to the imprint ministry. And uh, we do consider um, Crosspoint Church a friend of the Brackenhurst Baptist Church. And thank the Lord for the relationship, that though we're separated by many miles, we are on the same team, and we're doing the same mission, and uh, I just thank God for this church, and I feel, uh, I feel at home here today, and I, I haven't been able to say that the last couple of uh, months as I've been traveling in America, uh, but here I feel at home, and uh, so look forward to our time together today. If you would join me in Job chapter 1, uh, I want to preach this morning um, from Job 1, and we'll spend some time in chapter 2 as well, on the wisdom of, of us. Uh, and uh, I think you'll see what I mean by that as we go through this text. I must warn you, I have not preached for seven weeks, so I may make up for lost time. No, I, I, I know how long you normally preach here. Although I do notice there's this nice soft pad behind, under my feet. So does that mean I can get comfortable? Okay. Job chapter 1, if you would join me, I want to read all 22 verses of this chapter. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house, each one on his day, and perhaps that was their, their birthday. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro and on the earth and from walking up and down on it. 
In other words, he was up to no good. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you. Literally, he will deny you. He will defy you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house. Behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people. They are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Yesterday, as I pulled into uh, the area of Columbus, I pulled off the freeway, off the exit, and I was greeted by a guy standing by a car with a sign that said, once saved, not always saved, and he was standing there like this. And I thought, welcome to Columbus. (laughs) Not a very cheerful way to greet someone who is entering your city. Well, I want to say something today as I begin the sermon that you may feel like this is not very encouraging, but you have either come out of a trial, you are in a trial, but, or you are headed for a trial. Trials are a reality of life. Job experienced that. And God allowed in his wisdom what he could have prevented by his power. And that is a major theme a major lesson from the book of Job. And it's a lesson that we all need to learn that God who is wise in his wisdom ordains trials in our lives. We're told in Job 28, 28 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we've read in these opening verses that Job was a man who feared God. And so there is a real sense in which Job already is a wise man. And the book of Job is in the part of that Bible called the wisdom literature. We will meet later on in chapter 2 his three friends. 
And when you look at the geography of where they come from, there are some cross-references in the Bible that show us that those men came from regions that were known for wisdom. So these men, as Job is suffering, they apply wisdom to his situation, but the wisdom they apply is worldly wisdom. It is not helpful. The wisdom that Job needed was, the, it was gospel wisdom. He needed the wisdom, the only wisdom that will get us through life, and that is the wisdom found in he who is wisdom, the Lord Jesus Christ. I think, and I preached in the book of Job about a year ago, one of the major lessons that I learned from this book was that while Job is enduring all the suffering and questioning what is happening, he is unaware, he is not cognizant of God's view of him. When we read chapter 1 and chapter 2, we read twice, once in each of those chapters, where God says to the Satan... To the accuser, he says that Job is blameless and upright before me. And that's really key to understand the book of Job. That God had accepted Job. That in God's eyes, Job was justified. Before the throne of God above, God was saying, he is blameless. He is upright. And not in his own efforts. Yes, morally he was like that. His faith that he had in God was bearing fruit. But he was ultimately blameless and upright before the throne of God. Because by the grace of God, he was in Christ. Christ who is going to come. He cries out in this book. He knows that his Redeemer lives. That he, he that will come one day on the earth. Job struggles in his suffering because to some degree he doesn't have the gospel wisdom that we enjoy today. We enjoy today the wisdom of knowing that in Jesus Christ on our best day as well as on our worst day, we are accepted in the beloved. And so as we go through trials, sometimes that faith is assaulted. We begin to question Are we still accepted by God? We have the gospel wisdom in Christ. We're accepted in him because of his perfect life and his death on our behalf and his resurrection. We're justified before him. Late last night, I received a message from someone that I dearly love in South Africa and said, if you get this tonight in time, please pray for me. I can't sleep. I am struggling with a sense of guilt before God. And I'm struggling with that. And I wrote back immediately, Job chapter 1 and 2. And I said, take comfort in the fact that you're in Christ. And regardless of what you have done, there's forgiveness in Christ. And there's acceptance in him. We need, in our time of trial, when our faith is being assaulted, to cling to that gospel wisdom that we're accepted before the throne of God above. That is the underlying theme of the book of Job. And I want to flesh that out. Through several headings. First of all, as we look at Job, we see a man of holy character. He is a good man. He is blameless and upright, we're told. One who fears God. In the eyes of the world, he is also a great man. He is rich. He has uh, has 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys. He is 
He's a fruitful man. He has ten children. He is called here the greatest of all the people of the East. Job was a great man in the eyes of the world because of his possessions, but he was also a good man in that he loved God. He was a prosperous man, but he was, most importantly, a pious man. And as a man by the name of Christopher Ash points out, in the book of Job, it's a test. Will this great man remain a good man when he loses everything? Will a prosperous man remain a pious man when he loses everything? And I would suggest to you as we go through trials, we face something like that. We have this man who is a holy man. But in the midst of this commendation, we see in verses 6 to 12 a meeting of the heavenly court The sons of God, that would probably be the angels, have come to give an account before the Lord's throne. And amongst them comes the Satan. In fact, in the original, it's the direct object. It's not just Satan. It's the Satan. It's the accuser. The accuser, the slanderer, comes before the throne. And it's interesting as he is giving an account. And by the way, I love this. I thought about this week Martin Luther who said, remember that even the devil is God's devil. That God is sovereign. That God rules over the uh, the Satan. And Satan has to give an account to God. And as he gives this account to God, it's not Satan who initiates the trial, by the way. It is God. God says, have you considered my servant Job? I smiled this week thinking about when Jesus said to Peter in Luke chapter 22, he said, Simon Peter, he said, Satan has desired to have you. And you can just imagine Peter saying to Jesus, you told him no, right? He says, but he's going to sift you. But when your faith is strengthened... Strengthen your brothers. In other words, you're going to go through a trial, but I'm going to hang on to you. You're going to come out of that. Here is Satan, who then takes that invitation from the sovereign Lord. And he begins to bring all kinds of sorrow into his life. God is sovereign over everything that's going to take place in verses 13 to 22, where you have this mixture of terrible calamity. He loses all of his wealth. He loses his ten children. There is great sorrow in his life. I cannot even imagine the devastation. To lose your wealth is one thing, but to lose your entire family to lose all your children. I cannot even imagine the heartache. And yet he loses all of that under the sovereign, loving control of his heavenly father. In December of 2021, I went in for what was supposed to be a very, very simple procedure to have my gallbladder removed. 
And uh, they were going to do that on a, tu- on a Wednesday. The Tuesday, they did a, an endoscopy, and uh, they were going to remove a, a stone in my um, bile duct. And then next, they have my gallbladder taken out laparoscopically. I think that's how you say it. Very simple procedure. And in fact, I even planned to preach the next Sunday, but my elders talked me out of that. But I was planning on that. Well, the Tuesday happened, they, they did the procedure, and a couple hours later, I began to feel intense pain. And make a long story short, what had happened is somehow they had damaged my pancreas, and the en- enzymes began to, to leak into my, into my gut, and ended up with acute necrotizing pancreatitis, which is a fancy way to say, that really hurt. <laughs> and it was, for a long time, for a, a matter of life and death, and I spent two and a half months in the hospital, Recovering from it, three weeks in the ICU, and then another over two months recovering. And I remember in the early days, my wife and I talking. It was back in the COVID days, and she couldn't come to the first hospital I was in. She could come to the she could come to the restaurant, and so I would sneak out of my room and meet her in the restaurant. And I remember sitting there one day, and we talked about what had happened. And I said, you know, we understand that there was something that didn't go right here. I said, but we're not going to go down the path of finding someone to blame. And my wife was completely on board. And we had to just there surrender the fact that in the sovereignty of God, this had happened. And it was easy at the start. It was harder as week after week in the hospital happened. But it was a great opportunity for us to learn that there are things that happen to our life that are inexplicable, but we know that God is in control. Job is suffering the hand of God. Satan's design is for Job to turn away from the Lord. But Job did not embrace the satanic prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says this, Lord, I'm empty, fill me. And when God doesn't fill us, then there is disappointment with God. That is Satan's desire. The therapeutic gospel says, Lord, I'm hurting. Fulfill me. And when we find that our hurt is not healed, we can turn bitter against God. That's what Satan wants because he wants to accuse God to us. The biblical gospel, as Rico Tice says, is this, Lord, I'm sinful, forgive me. As we, who know the Lord Jesus Christ, cry out to him in a time of our despair, we need to be careful of not falling into the trap of the prosperity gospel or the therapeutic gospel, but clinging to the gospel that we were God's enemies, but in Christ we've been reconciled, we're accepted by him, regardless of what happens in this life. The sovereign Lord initiates the trial. Job comes through this trial with flying colors. He comes through this trial with a marvelous, a miraculous, we could call it that, a, 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 a merciful humility. He arises after hearing this last piece of bad news from anguish and agony. 
piled on top of each other, stab after stab of affliction. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and he worshiped. He bows to God. The first time that we find the word worship in the Bible, we find it in Genesis 22, a pivotal chapter in Scripture. It's the first time you find the word love is in Genesis 22. And the first time you find the word obey, it's in Genesis chapter 22. And it's in the first time you find the word worship is Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham, out of love for God, in obedience to him, worships God, bows to his will, and lays his son on the altar. As the servants say to Job, or, or, or as, Moses, sorry, as Abraham says to his servants, he says, the child and I are going to go yonder and we're going to worship. What is he going to do? He's going to go, he's going to sacrifice his son, but he saw it as worship before the Lord. When we go through times of great trial, we need to make sure that we respond in a way of worship and not of accusation against God, but bowing before him. One of the, I, I, I very foolishly years ago thought to myself, you know, it wouldn't be terribly bad to be in the hospital for a while because I'd have, I'd have all that time to read. Well, I don't say that anymore. I also I found this out when you're in the hospital, sometimes the last thing you want to do is read. But I did read a book called Becoming Elizabeth Elliot about the story of that great woman who went home to be with the Lord some years ago. And she lost her husband. And she went through trial after trial. Somebody said to her, how did you respond to all of that? And she, one of her answers was, I just did the next thing. I just did the next thing. And for her, the next thing was, how does the Lord want me to serve him? How does he want me to bow before him and to worship him? She did the next thing. Job, he bows. He then blesses the Lord and says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Remember, Satan's whole ploy here was, if you take away all these blessings, if you change Jacob's, uh, uh, Job's circumstances, then he will curse you. Literally, he will deny you. He will turn away from you. But here we have this wonderful response. He blesses the name of the Lord. He blesses God's name. He does what is right. When I was in the hospital, I'd been there for a couple of months. And the whole time from day one, they would, they would do blood tests every morning at 4 o'clock in the morning because they wanted to make sure the doctors had it when they came to work. So at 4 o'clock in the morning, they would wake me up and they would, they, and, and I hate needles. I think I counted up over 100 times they stuck needles in my arms and they would take the blood test and they'd come back in the morning and give the report of the infection level and whatever the measurement was. It was supposed to be between 4 and 7 and it was always around about 395. And it started to come down and my wife and I were greatly encouraged by that. And it began to come down and one day a specialist physician came in and he said, Mr. Van Meter, he said, I hate to tell you this, but your, 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 your uh, 
um, infection levels are going up again. And I just cried. And he could see me. And tears were rolling down my cheek. And he said to me, Mr. Van Meter, he said, I think you need, I think you need to see a psychiatrist. And I said, no, no, I don't think that's necessary. I said, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm sad. And that's a reality. And he said, well, I want someone to come see you. And so he sent a hospital counselor there by the name of Pierre, a really nice guy, and I, I think he was just trying to help. And so we were sitting down, and my wife was there at the time, and he said, Mr. Van Meter, he said, you know, I've, I found in my experience that religious people always think they're going to get better. And therefore, they become very, very discouraged when they don't get better. I said, well, can I just stop you right there? I said, I have no illusions. I have no reason to believe that I'm going to get better. I said, I'm well aware of the fact that I might even die from this. I said, but I'm still trusting in Jesus Christ. And so the counselee became the counselor. Had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. And strangely, he never came back after that. And I was not some spiritual giant through all of this. I don't want to give that impression. There were times where I was frightened. There were times where I was broken. But I did learn through all of that. That I need to trust the Lord even when everything is going south. And God expects us who are in, who have been saved by his son. To continue to trust him because no matter what happens in this life. When the worst of things happens our greatest problem is solved. Our sin problem. Being separated from God because of our evil treatment of God. That has been, we've been reconciled through Jesus Christ. And our greatest problem has been taken care of. Job didn't serve God because of what he got from God. He served God because of God's grace to him. Job responded, and he was blameless in verse 22. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job, I suppose, long before this, and we know because he would offer sacrifices for his children in case they had sinned. I love that. Job was all happy that his family was celebrating, his kids were celebrating each other's birthdays. That was great, but... Perhaps they've sinned in that feast, and so Job would faithfully offer sacrifices on their behalf. Job was a man that in the midst of prosperity was following the Lord, and that's important. In the midst of everything going well, he was pursuing his relationship with the Lord. And that is why when he comes to this terrible trial, he's not abandoning the Lord. He's exercised his spiritual muscles, and he is, he is fit for that. I have been a long-distance runner since I was 15 years of age and running marathons. And so when I got sick, uh, that was a strange thing for me. I have not been sick most of my life. And the doctor said that one reason they think that I was able to come through this was because when I went into the illness, uh, I was already pretty physically fit. Um, I remember, though, the physical therapist taking me on a walk about three or four weeks into this, and she said to me, Mr. Van Meter, today we're going to try steps. 
and, I, and we walked up three steps, and you would have thought I climbed Mount Everest. I wasn't fit then, but she said that the fitness from earlier probably had helped me. Well, that is true spiritually as well. When I went to ICU, being a pastor, I've been to many hospitals and many ICUs. And I have seen people in ICU, and I've just seen them there just motionless. And it scared me to be in ICU. I remember one day asking one of the nurses, I said, there's a lazy boy I saw out there. Would you mind putting that in my room? And I, every day, made the effort to be in that chair at 8 o'clock, and I wouldn't go back to my bed until 7.30 at night because I was afraid of physical atrophy. And when I could, I would walk and I'd shuffle around the ICU. Sometimes I could escape and run down the hall until they come and find me. But I did that not because I'm some kind of a hero. I did that because I was scared. And I wanted to make sure that I was as active as I could because I did not want my body to just atrophy. And it dawned on me in the midst of that, that's how it must be spiritually. That I must be exercising my trust in the Lord. I must be walking with him. I must be pursuing him. I must be pursuing him in a daily discipline of reading the word and praying. And all of that prepares us for when the trials come. Yes, God can give us grace if we're not prepared. Thank God for that. But we should do all we can to be walking when things are well. Preparing ourselves for those times when things are not well. I assume Job was doing that. I'm not going to read chapter 2 for time's sake. And I forgot to check my watch when I started. So just bear with me. I promise I won't. When you start leaving, I'll know I'm done. All right. But in chapter 2, we have really where the affliction boils over. Satan comes again before God, giving an account. And God again asks the question, have you considered my Job, my, my servant Job? By the way, that's a rare statement in the Old Testament. Very few individuals are called my servant by God. And Job is called my servant. He said, have you considered him? He's not turned away from me even though these things have happened to him. I've laid, he said, you've, Satan, have incited me to put my hand against him without any cause, without any reason. And yet he still is faithful to me. And then Satan says something like this. He says, well, if Job has skin in the game, then it's going to be different. He uses a phrase here and speaks about skin for skin in verse 4. And commentators aren't exactly sure what that means. But the idea may be simply this. It's fine that you've touched things that are external to Job, even his children, as hard as that was. But if you touch him physically, then you'll see where his loyalty lies. I think it is true, and Johnny Erickson taught a, has taught me this. She said, you know, there's all kinds of trials we face in life, and some are... Are, are, are painful, and we, we carry those with us to the grave. She said, but there's something about a physical trial that is so intimate and so personal and oftentimes so painful that it puts our faith to the test like no other thing. 
And so, of course, Satan is given permission to touch his body, and these boils break out, and Job is seen on the ash heap, the rubbish tip, the garbage tip of the city, scraping himself with broken pottery. Perhaps he's sitting there feeling like I'm the refuse of the world. This is where I belong. Feeling rejected by God. And as he scrapes himself, he's also scratching his head thinking, what's brought this upon me? In chapter 3, he breaks out and laments the day of his birth. He never curses God, but he does say, I wish I'd never been born. His friends come along and they offer him some bad worldly wisdom. and It doesn't help. And in all of that, Job is struggling with the fact of one thing, not that he's lost his wealth, not even that he's lost his children, not even that he's lost his health. He's afraid he's lost God. He's afraid he's been rejected by God. He's afraid that he's no longer seen by God. He's no longer accepted by God. Because again, he doesn't know what God has said in heaven. If you consider my, if you consider my servant Job, he's blameless before me. He's upright. He's accepted. He's struggling with that. His wife, in chapter 2, she says to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Verse 9, curse God and die. Augustine said that Job's wife was the devil's advocate. That may be a bit harsh. I used to be really hard on Job's wife. I mean, basically what she's saying is, why don't you curse God and die? What she's saying is, why don't you look for a way to God to kill you? Why did she say that? Having experienced something of this, I have great sympathy for Job's wife. I would imagine seeing her husband suffer the way he suffered. She also lost all of her wealth. She also lost her children. She's suffering. Sometimes I think caregivers of those who are unwell, we need to do a lot more ministering to them. My wife, we, we were so blessed when they moved me to a specialist hospital and physician. They allowed, during that COVID era, visitors from 2 until 6 every day. And every day, for two and a half months, every day at 2 o'clock, I could hear my wife's feet walking down the hall. My wife has this cadence. The other day, we were at Target. And I was several aisles away, and I thought, that's my wife. And I looked around, and it was her. And I'd hear this cadence, and I'd wait for her to walk through the door. And she was faithful every day to come and to be with me. But I realized the great burden she was carrying. On Christmas Day, she said to Tommy, our son-in-law, she said, you know, Dad may die, and if he does, I'm going to need your help. I'm going to need your help sorting out the finances, and how do I do this and that? Caregivers. Let's be sensitive to them. As they watch those they love suffer. Job's three friends, they come. And they seek to comfort him and they commiserate with him. They sit down with him, which was an ancient custom there. And they also sit with him and they probably weep with him. They do some 
dumb things later and say some really bad things later. But they did come alongside and they ministered to him. They cared for him. In chapter 4, what they do is they open their mouths. Somebody has said these were the greatest counselors in the world until they spoke. And they spoke. And all they did was give the wisdom of the world. You're suffering because there must be sin in your life. They even say some slanderous things about Job later on. Again, it's interesting, the place they come from, when you look at the geography of where they come from, it's mentioned in Jeremiah and in 1 Kings and in the book of Lamentation. These areas were known for its wisdom. And these men come with wisdom and they try to help Job. But like the counselor in the hospital with me, they didn't have gospel wisdom. What they needed to hear, what Job needed to hear was that before the throne of God, you're accepted. That as bad as things are right now and all your suffering, you're accepted. It seemed like Job had some inkling about that. He kept saying, he spoke about his Redeemer in chapter 19 and throughout several times. He says, how can one be just with God? Oh, that I had a referee. Oh, that I had someone who would intercede for me. Job didn't have the gospel light that we have. We have the light. that, Like these friends who they came and they comforted and they commiserated with Job at the end of chapter 2. We have the Son of God who came and he comforted. He commiserated with us in our need. But he did more than that. He was crucified in our place. And he was buried. And he rose again. For our justification. And because of that, today, he's on the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And so that when the trials come, and we feel like God has forsaken us, we're drawn to passages like Romans 8, 31 to 39, where we say, if God be for us, who can be against us? If God did not spare his own son but delivered him, us, him up for our sins, how shall he not with him also freely give to us all things? So whether it be life or death, whether it be health or whether it be sickness, whatever it is that is in our lives circumstantially, the most important thing is we have a Savior who's interceding for us. This person who wrote me last night, I interacted this morning with her. And I said to her, you should Google the lyrics of the song before the throne of God above. Listen to these words. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. And then these words. When Satan tempts me to despair. Have you ever been there? And tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there. Who made an end to all my sin. My sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied. 
to look on him and to pardon me. That song, Before the Throne of God Above, was originally titled, The Advocate. We, had, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, God's Son, the righteous. And because of that, in the midst of our trials, as painful as they are, we need not the wisdom of the world. We need the wisdom of the gospel. We need to be looking and realizing that God is not against us, Christian. He is for us. You know, whenever I read that verse in Romans 8, 31, if God before us, who can be against us? And I kind of smile and think, I can add a whole list to that. I know who's against me. And I know what can be against me. But the point is, who's for me? God is for me because of Christ. And if you today don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to know that you are a sinner against a holy God. And you deserve and are under God's wrath. But the good news is that he sent his son who lived a perfect life of righteousness. He was a greater Job. Job might have been blameless in the eyes of the world. Jesus Christ was completely blameless in the eyes of God. Sinless, the lamb without spot or blemish. And then in that sinless life, he laid down his life on the cross. And he took our penalty and the wrath that we deserved upon himself. And then he said, it is finished. He paid the price. And the father vindicated that by the resurrection. And he lives today to make intercession for all those who will come in repentance and faith to him. Come to him today and find safe, find salvation in Jesus Christ. Whoever that was that introduced me to Columbus, Georgia yesterday is wrong. When you are saved, you are saved forever because of our advocate on the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the story of Job. We thank you for the wisdom that in a sense, Job didn't have, but was made so much clearer under the new covenant through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, we can glean from this that though so much can be against us when we're in Christ, we know that you are for us. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here today that perhaps you're right now in the middle of an inexplicable trial. And they're hurting and I pray today that they'd find great hope and great joy in the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray for those who don't know Christ, that today would be the day where you would convict them, Holy Spirit, and you grant them repentance and faith. They turn to Christ today, the advocate who they need in heaven. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.